If you would please turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians as we continue our study in this book. I was overwhelmed as I read and studied these verses that we're going to consider this morning because of how rich they are with a recognition of the greatness of our Savior, what He has done for us and where He is and what He's doing for us uh, now. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word this morning? We'll start at verse 1 and read down through verse 10. Let's hear the Word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Please be seated. Go ahead in prayer. Please pray for yourselves as you sit under the proclamation of God's word this morning and pray for me as I preach this text. Let's pray. God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you, God, for this text this morning, which speaks to us of the greatness of our great Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And pray, O God, that you would be with me as I preach, that you would be with the congregation as they hear and that you would bring this word to bear upon our hearts and lives, that we might be changed. Our God, take away our unbelief. Take away from us our lack of interest in spiritual things. And grant to us, O oh Lord, revival of heart and mind. As we are reminded of the great work that Christ has done for us. As we are reminded of the place he has now uh, in, uh, in glory. Lord, suppress our sin, suppress the evil one, grant us the grace to be engaged. Bless us with your word, in Christ's name, amen. The world is filled with things that we cannot understand, uh, even with the latest use of technological machines and scientific equations. Still, there are many things that we cannot explain or completely understand how they work. 
Everyone knows about Stonehenge that is in England. And uh, it is that uh, uh, the structure is approximately 2000 B.C. is the guess, really. Each stone weighs about 5,000, 50,000 pounds, not 50,000 pounds. And uh, the closest location is approximately 200 miles away. How in the world did they get stones that large from 2,000 miles away and cut them and placed them in a circle? How in the world did that happen? We don't know. We don't know. Uh, we know that it did, but we simply cannot explain it. Uh, there are many other things that we could look at and talk about that people don't quite understand how they work. But those things really don't matter how they did it. The pyramids of Egypt. It doesn't really matter if we understand that or not. It's a mystery. It's fascinating how they cut those stones and placed them in such perfect order. But it doesn't matter. They're mysteries. However, in the text this morning, the Apostle Paul talks about a mystery. It is the mystery. Notice the article, the mystery. And what you do with this mystery, how you respond to this mystery, what you think about this mystery is very consequential. It has to do with life and death. It has to do with heaven and hell. Because the mystery that Paul refers to here is the mystery of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ has established by his work peace on earth between ourselves and our God. And we see in this text this morning the great position of Christ having accomplished redemption that all things have been subjected to him now. This one who was born of a virgin, this one who had the angels sing in the night of his birth, peace on earth, the one who lived his life, kept the law for us, who died for us, who was raised from the dead for us, this one now, all things, because of the accomplishments of his labors, has been given authority over all things that are. There are three things we'll look at this morning. The redemption accomplished by Christ had to be revealed. The redemption accomplished by Christ was a work that he alone was able to do. And the redemption accomplished by Christ has cosmic consequences. I love that, cosmic consequences. It's true. And the first thing then, the redemption accomplished by Christ had to be revealed. And we ask the question, uh, when Paul speaks of a mystery, what do we understand him to be saying here in this text? Well, what he is not talking about are the mysteries that we simply will never completely comprehend. And listen, by the way, listen to this. We are not going to exhaustively understand God in glory. We'll have a fuller revelation. We'll know more than we know now. But God is always going to be infinite. He's always going to be the creator. We are always going to be the creature. Again, we will have a fuller revelation, but not exhaustive understanding of God's greatness. And there are things here in this world that we are not able to completely understand. Explain to me the Trinity. How there's one God who exists in three persons. You can't do it. We accept it. The Bible teaches it very clearly. But exactly how we can approach to comprehend it, it is beyond us. One God and three persons. Or the Incarnation. Explain the incarnation. How is it 
that the eternal Son of God, at a particular time in history, took flesh upon himself, became man, and was God and man at the same time. Explain how that works. We accept these things on faith. We know that to be true, the Bible tells us they are true. Or explain this one. How is it that God can be totally sovereign and not do violence to our wills, and we are 100% responsible for the decisions that we make? Explain that. Even Jerry Packer, in his little book, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God, said that these are antinomies. We simply do not have enough information to comprehend them, this side of glory. We can't explain them. But that's not what Paul is saying here when he talks about this mystery that is the gospel, the mystery of his will. What he's talking about is something that was hidden in the past that has been revealed to us in the present. The mystery of the gospel. So we learn that it was necessary, as we read this text, for us to be purchased, for us to be redeemed because of our sin. We had to be bought back, if you will. We learn of our innate guilt. We learn of our own particular sins. All of these things we stand before God then condemned. Because of that sin that is a part of our lives, there's nothing that we can do about it. And this great redemption that he lavished on us, we read here in the scriptures. The story in eternity past, the plans in eternity past, the design of God to accomplish redemption in eternity past, that's the mystery. And it has become known to us by the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as we think about the hearing of the gospel, there's a casual hearing of the gospel. Well, this is the casual here who sits and can't wait to go home, who sits in dreams of other things, who sits and zones out. I have that problem myself. You, know, you see, you kind of zone out sometimes. But who sits really with no interest at all in the gospel? That's the casual here. And it benefits them not one whit. But then the effectual hearer of the gospel is the one who God gives grace. He embraces the gospel. He embraces the life given to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it is that he has salvation. This is the mystery of the gospel. And uh, it is that it was God's delight to work this grace for us. If you will give ear when it says here, uh, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose. So it was God's plan, God's desire, God's work of pleasure to make known to us the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as he revealed it, he revealed it by bits and pieces. The first promise of the Redeemer in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, I will send one who will crush the head of the serpent. Shall bruise his heel, but he will crush his head. He revealed it by inches and feet. The prophets in the Old Testament, he revealed it by days and months and years. Until finally the full revelation known to us in the birth and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. This mystery that was made known. You can equate it to a rose. When I was growing up, my grandfather was a marvelous gardener. It was amazing, and I'm not exaggerating. It was amazing. He was much more successful than I had been. Uh, we had beautiful flowers. His garden said no weeds in them. They had raised vegetables. Well, you, you know that when you first see a bud on a rose bush, it's, 
very tightly closed. And uh, over time, it slowly opens up until you see the beauty of uh, all the petals and the, uh, how gorgeous it is. Well, that's the gospel. It was slowly over time revealed to us until the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ and the work that he was going to do. And the redemption accomplished by Christ was a work that he alone was able to do. As we read here in the text, he lavished upon us all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. There is no salvation apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, you all tell me something I don't know. I want to hear something new and exciting. There's nothing more exciting than the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I can make stuff up. I have a very vivid imagination. That would do you no good. It would not help one whit as far as your sanctification is concerned. The message of hope in Christ is he came to die for us. He gave his life for us. That's the gospel. And again, he says here in the text, he was set forth in Christ. This is amazing to think about this, that before time was, there within the Godhead, the decision to redeem a people, the decision to who was going to redeem the people, the decision to how he was going to redeem the people, and it certainly was to come to pass. So Christ, before time was, it says in the book of Revelation, slain before the foundation of the world. So it was Jesus from the beginning to the end who was going to accomplish salvation. And so a spotlight upon Jesus here. You know, it is amazing and it is informative as you read the Bible how again and again and again we read about the Lord Jesus. Because it was in Christ who died for us in Christ alone. And so it was accomplished by him from the birth of Jesus to the place where he was born, to the work that he did by keeping the law for us, all of these things before time were determined that Christ would redeem his people. It was his job. And that's what exactly he came to do. And apart from the work of Christ, there is no salvation. If you reject the gospel, you have to pay for your own sins. Our God is a just God who demands payment, and the wages of sin are pretty rough. The wages of sin is death, and not simply physical death. It is eternal death, God's wrath and condemnation. So apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, there is absolutely no hope of heaven. There's nothing that you can do. There's nothing that you can uh, achieve to give you access to God. It is only Jesus, and it is Jesus alone who gives us access to God. And the timing of the plan was established by God in ages past, as it says here, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. John Calvin said this, Let no one inquire why one time and not another was selected. The apostle anticipates such curiosity by calling the appointed time the fullness of time. Let human presumption restrain itself, and in judging of the succession of events, let it bow to the providence of God. Galatians 4, 4 and 5, In the fullness of time Christ came, born of a woman, 
born under the law, that he may redeem those who are under the law. And there is uh, this absolute necessity uh, to bend to God's timing. In our own lives, we have to bend to God's timing and trust God in the affairs of our lives. And we become impatient. And we perhaps complain that God is not forthcoming as we would like him to be. He does not snap to it when we give him demands. And we do not make our prayer requests. We make our prayer demands. Well, God is perfect in his timing. And it is that if we don't remember that, uh, that we tend to become discouraged. And we tend to become complainers. Uh, God's timing is perfect. In the fullness of time, Christ came. In the fullness of time, he answers your prayers. And he sometimes says no. He sometimes says yes, so often he does. And sometimes God says, uh, just going to have to wait and trust me. How many of you believe without a doubt in the second coming of Christ? I see some hands. That's good. That's good. Now, here's a question for you. All the promises that God made in the Old Testament have come to fulfillment in Christ. The promises concerning redemption, all of them have come to pass. God has not failed to keep his word. It's been 2,000 years since Christ was here. It's a long time. We live in an age of uh, threats, wars and rumors of wars, as Christ talks about that in the scriptures. And do we sometimes may forget what is ultimately going to come to pass? And it is the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 1, you know, the angels are two men standing there after Christ ascends into heaven. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up at the sky? The same Jesus you have seen, how he's gone, he's going to come back in the same way. And we look at other texts in Matthew chapter 24, Christ promises he's going to return. Uh, in John 6:44, he says that he's going to return. In John 14, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. If I go to prepare a place, I will come again and receive you to myself in the fullness of time. So we don't know when it is. Jesus said when he was on the earth, he didn't know when it was. He said, I don't know. The angels in heaven don't know. Only God knows. But the fact of the matter is the certainty of his coming is established. And each day that passes brings us closer to that moment. And I heard that Queen Elizabeth lived her life with the understanding of a judgment to come. If you live your life as if there ain't going to be no judgment, if you're not going to stand before the bar of God, you're not going to be judged for the things you've done or said or whatever, it's going to make you sloppy in your religious walk. It tends to. But if you know that you're going to stand before the bar of God and give an account for the things you've done, whether good or bad, it says in the Scriptures. It kind of helps keep us uh, on the straight and narrow. It kind of helps keep us and encourages us to be faithful. It's appointed for man to die once and then the judgment. The time is set. It will not delay. It certainly is going to come according to God's promise. Well, the last thing is uh, that the resurrection accomplished by Christ has cosmic consequences. This verse, um, verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 1, 
has a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth, is a very, very powerful text. There's a question. We had prayer breakfast uh, Saturday, yesterday morning, and I made a statement. Now, don't get up and throw things at me until you hear me, hear me out. I made the statement that heaven's going to be more perfect with Christ there. And uh, someone there at the study corrected me. My son, Jess, did. How can heaven be more perfect? Well, it can't. It's already perfect. But how does it change with Christ ascending and sitting on the right hand of God? There is a glory that entered into heaven when Christ ascended there as the risen Lord that was not there before. Grab on to that. There was a glory that entered into heaven itself when Christ, the Redeemer, ascended there and sat down at the right hand of God. And I love what he says here, that he unites all things to himself, things in heaven and things on earth. The work of Christ accomplished things. It accomplished marvelous things. And Paul writes of this. Listen to Colossians. Uh, Colossians 1, if you haven't read this for a while, I would encourage you to do so. Uh, Colossians 1, starting in verse 15, this is describing Christ. Listen to this, describing your Lord. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things are created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, where their thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. What a marvelous, marvelous God we have. What a marvelous Savior we have. That all things have been brought together, things in heaven and things on earth. What does he mean by this? Well, when the fall happened, uh, the door was closed, if you will. Here's a question again. Can angels fellowship with sinful men and women and children? Can they fellowship with them? And the answer is no. They cannot. Can they fellowship with believers? Yeah. They can and they do. Fellowship with believers. That's what Paul's talking about here. That Christ has paved the way to bring together things in heaven and things on earth. Close that chasm. I'm going to read to you from John Owen. Was a Puritan. Concerning the fall, this is volume one, page 61, if anybody wants to look at it. Concerning the fall, divine wisdom was in no way surprised by this disaster. God was in no way surprised by this fiasco that happened from all eternity. He had laid in provisions uh, for the reconciliation of all things and a better and more permanent estate than what it was before. How can it be a better and more permanent state than it was before? Because before, 
In the original creation, Adam and Eve were created mutable. They could sin. When the new heavens and the new earth are established, there will be no possibility of sin. There will be no possibility of separation. John Owen also said that Christ taking his place in glory, as I said a moment ago, brought into heaven a glory that was not there before. Uh, Don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. Heaven was perfect prior to Christ's resurrection and ascension. There was nothing lacking there. But it says in the scriptures that heavens, that the angels in heaven longed to look into the work of Christ. Why? Because it demonstrates the glory of God. It demonstrates the greatness of God. It demonstrates the love of God, the majesty of God, all of these things. And if we let this grab onto our hearts, that we understand that the world was without hope, the world was condemned and lost, and God comes up with a solution by giving His Son to die in the place of His people. And the angels love it. As they look at God's glory and they look at God's work, redemption, who would have ever thought these people who had rebelled against their God, these people who were condemned before God for their own sin, these people who are destined to condemnation, that God Himself would pave the way for their reconciliation by God taking flesh upon Himself and living and dying for these people. And it says the angels delight in looking at that and studying that. Well, there in glory now, there is the resurrected Christ who sits on his throne. There he is. There's the great God who has accomplished these things. There's the great God who has given me hope in this world of hopelessness. Don't let this pass you by. Don't let this escape your understanding and your passion. Here is the great great work that Christ has done. He's brought together things in heaven and things on earth, united them through his own work. Why has he done this? Romans 11.32, the best that I can uh, come to. See, describe it. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he might have mercy on all. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he might have mercy on all. You've heard me say it before. Had the fall not happened, had the fall never occurred, there would be a great aspect of God's grace that we wouldn't know. We would know his majesty. We would know his love. We would know his power. But his grace that deals with us as fallen, rebellious people would not have been known. That's what Paul is saying in Romans 11:32. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he might have mercy on all. And so he has been given a name that is above every name. I was listening to, and I forgot to pray for the folks in Florida today and the other states. I was listening to the radio, and there was a fellow who came on the radio and said that he'd been praying to uh, uh, St. Michael 
And that St. Michael protected him and his family. I know angels are ministering spirits. They do God's bidding. And perhaps they protect us. They came to Christ to his aid. We don't pray to them. If they come to protect us, it's the Lord who sends them to protect us. And it was uh, it's sad to me that given the greatness of our Savior and the great work that he accomplished and the great benefit and the effect of the work that Christ did, that someone would be so misguided who was religious, who I'm sure professed faith in Christ, would pray to an angel when we can pray to our God who hears us and answers our prayers according to his good pleasure, according to his wisdom. So uh, we're reminded this morning as we come to the table that uh, the work that Christ did for us was efficacious. And this meal that Christ gave us to participate in throughout the ages until he returns again. So it looks forward to that. And we remember, again, as we come to the table, that we have been redeemed by this Savior. And now God looks at us as we lean upon Christ, and he says, not guilty. And so we are to come and feast upon the broken body and shed blood of Christ as is represented here in these elements. Let's pray.